Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Turn with me. We're going to be looking at a few different places this morning in Scripture. We're going to start out, though, in Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about perspective. In fact, uh, the title of this message is going to be Prisoner to Your Perspective. Are you a prisoner to your perspective? Perspective is important in each one of our lives. And your perspective... Right? It's dependent upon where you're at. Right? So from my perspective, I can see all the smiling faces. I can see all the sad faces. I can see all the things out there. I can see it all. Right? Some of you, all you're seeing is the back of somebody's head. Right? There are others of you that can only see me. For me, I can't see what's going on behind me. Your perspective is all in where you are situated. When I was a child, uh, I was, I guess, 10 or 11, I don't remember exactly. No, 12, I guess, because it was in 1989. My mom took us to New York City, myself and my brother and my aunt. And uh, the the city, biggest city I'd been in up to that point really had been Washington, D.C. And and I thought Washington, D.C. was amazing. Uh, when I got to New York City, I was blown away as a 12-year-old. We got out at uh, Grand, was it Grand Central Station? What was it? I don't know where. Underneath, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, right there in the middle. I can't remember the name of the station now. It's been so many years ago. But we took the train in, and we got in, and the, the train station was the biggest thing I'd ever seen in my life, and uh, it was smelly. Right? And, and it was dirty and it was gross, not something that I was used to. The subway system in D.C. was clean and uh, kept up and everything. Uh, we get off the train and we, we uh, go to the train station. We come up out at Madison Square Garden. The train is underneath Madison Square Garden, basically. <coughs> we come up and we were blown away at the skyscrapers. So my mom had told us, you know, you won't, you think you know, D.C. has big buildings. Wait till you get to New York City and you see these buildings that, we were looking, we were blown away. And, uh, but I got to tell you, the thing that uh, struck me the most, and I actually remember the most to this day, is how gross it was. <laughs> it was 1989. Uh, you could not go out, really, at night as a family because uh, we were close to Times Square. And back in the day, Times Square was not a clean place to be. Every so many stores was really a nudie a place to go in and look at naked women. And I mean, it was not a good, nice place. This is before Giuliani went through and just really cleaned everything up. Prostitutes were everywhere uh, and it was dirty. And, and we had this list of rules that we had to follow. You don't look people in the eye, right? You, if someone approaches you and starts talking to you, you keep walking, you know, homeless person. Uh, we, you, I mean, it was uh, a lot of rules that we had to follow. Is, Taurus. Now, of course, we stuck out like Taurus. I had my giant 
uh, a Polaroid camera around my neck, and you know, uh, we look just like tourists and everything. And, uh, but I remember just thinking, this is nasty. And then actually was afraid a lot as we walked around. Had a lot of good times, but also was just not impressed. And I remember going after, you know, seeing all of these things and all of these sites and kind of going, this is a, just a gross place. We went up in the Empire State Building. And when we went up in the Empire State Building, you were able to look over the whole scene. And my perspective changed. Because from way up there, you couldn't see the homeless man peeing on the side of the building. <laughs> from way up there, you couldn't see all of the trash that was where the Macy's Day Parade was and all the trash, you know, flowing through the streets. It's not like that on TV. They clean it all up nice and pretty for TV, but you could, you know, when you're on the ground, it was gross. And up, but up, up there, you couldn't see all that dirt and all that grime, and it looked like a beautiful city. On the ground, I had one perspective. On the top of the Empire State Building, I had a different perspective perspective and actually thought, wow, this place is kind of cool. This is pretty. And I remember that to this day. Our perspective affects us throughout our lives. Amen. How we see things, where we're standing. Do we make an effort to see things differently? Do we make an effort to look around and try to make sure that we're seeing all 360 degrees? Or are we only focused on what is right in front of us? In the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, uh, we're going to be looking at verse 11, or starting with verse 11. It says, As for you, because of the blood of your covenant, I will release your prisoners from the waterless cistern. Verse 12, Return to a stronghold, you prisoners who have hope. Today I declare that I will restore double to you. This morning, if you are a prisoner to your perspective, if you are trapped and you're trapped in worry and doubt and fear and anger and bitterness and frustration, if you feel trapped uh, where you're at in your circumstance, you don't see a way out, this morning I want to tell you that God can give you an adjustment in your perspective so that you see that you are not the sum of where you are right now, but he has a hope and a future for you. What I want to point out to you is verse 12. See, what was happening here is the nation of Israel who were prisoners of war. Israel, the remnant, were, they were prisoners of war in a foreign land. Yet God says to them, return to a stronghold, you prisoners who have hope. So they were either prisoners of war or they were prisoners of hope. Which was it? All on your perspective. Yeah. Right? You see, God gave them a promise in chapter 9, starting with verse 9, that says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Guess who that's about? That's about Jesus. 
So the first thing to overcoming where you see yourself, what your, your negative perspective, being a prisoner of your perspective, is recognizing and remembering the promises and the word of God. The first step into being rescued, being delivered from the prison of your perspective is to remember the promise and the word and the truth of God. That's the foundation. God's word is the foundation from which all change flows. All deliverance starts with the word of God, the truth of God. That's where deliverance starts. The Holy Spirit then takes that word of truth and it grows and it develops and he changes us and he sets us free. But it all starts with the truth of God's word. And so with these, with the Jews, they can either see themselves as prisoners of war or prisoners of hope that someday their king was coming. Someday he would set up his kingdom. Someday they would be free. So today in your life, as you look at your circumstances, you look at your relationships with people, you look at your job, you look at decisions you've made, you look at your past, if you are trapped in your perspective, the first thing you need to do is dive into God's word and start looking at the promises that he's made to you. Amen. Yes. He promised that you're more than a conqueror yeah. yes. in Christ Jesus. Yes. Right? He promised you that he hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but a power of love and of some sound mind. He promised you that you're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. He promised to be water so that you would never thirst again. He promised to be the bread of life so you would never hunger again. He promised many things in his word. God has promised. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. He said, when the enemy comes in like a flood, I'll rise a standard against him. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. When the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, resist him, stand firm in the faith. Guess what? He's got to run. Resist the devil, and he must flee from you. Those are promises. Yes. Promises that should change our perspective. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Someone needs to hear that this morning. No matter where you're at, God is with you. If you think that you're alone, if you think that you have made a, a poor decision and that you're out of, of God's will, he wants you to know this morning that he's still there. He's right beside you. And if you are out of his will, he's just waiting for you to call on his name. If you're not out of his will, he's right there to get you from point A to point B. Amen. God is there for you. Keep the promises. The friend is sick and closer than a brother. It all starts in God's word, his truth. Amen. Your perspective is, should be grounded in the word of God. Amen. That's where it starts, is God's yes. word. Israel, they were captives of war. They were prisoners of war. They really were prisoners of hope. One translation says, they were prisoners of anticipation. 
prisoners of anticipation. Anticipating what God was going to do. Be on the lookout. Oh my goodness. That should change our perspective right there. Watching for what God is going to do next. Amen. Anticipating how God is going to be there for us. Anticipating how he's going to guide us. Anticipating his next move. Looking forward to it. Not trying to guess what he's going to do. Looking forward to what he's going to do. Can't wait. Excited. Like a child on Christmas morning. Can't wait to get up and anticipating. They're excited about the gifts under the tree. Just like that, God wants us to anticipate his goodness and his love for us. He wants us to look for those things to, as he wants to bless us and encourage us. He doesn't want us to be miserable or to hate our lives. He doesn't want us to not have joy. He wants us to have joy unspeakable and hope and peace and comfort. He wants us to have all of those things. So we need to be looking in anticipation at how God can move and will move in our lives. All right, look with me now to 2 Kings chapter 6. So the first thing is to break out of the prison of our perspective. It starts with the truth of God's word and his promises. The second is this. 2 Kings chapter 6. So the king said, go and see where he is so I can send men to capture him. This is the king of Syria talking about Elisha. And when he was told Elisha's in Dothan, he sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, Oh, my master, what are we to do? Now, the second key to being set free from the prison of your perspective is what you see with your eyes isn't necessarily the whole picture. Amen. What you and I see does not represent what God sees. Right? When I was a kid, and many of you may actually be too young to remember, that, remember this because I forget that I'm, I'm nearing 50. Ooh. <laughs> uh, there, you might not remember these, but they had comic books when I was a kid. And they had red and blue. They were 3D comic books. And you had they came with these glasses, these cheap glasses. And one lens was red and one lens was blue. Do you remember that? And your comic book, when you would open it, it was you couldn't really make out really what it was, right? It was flat on the page. And it was this red lines and blue lines. You could kind of see there was a picture there, but you really couldn't make it out. You couldn't make out the word. It was blurry, right? But when you put the glasses on, what would happen? It would pop up off the page. And now this two-dimensional picture suddenly became three-dimensional. And if you were like me, you would do this. Right? I remember the first time I got one, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Because I, I, it came right off the page, you know. <laughs> 3D technology has come a long way. If you went, I, uh, last, one of the last 3D movies I remember watching in the theater was Monsters vs. Aliens. And uh, I was just, the, bolt, the, the asteroids coming at you, and you're just like, you know. 
But if you took your glasses off, it was just a blurry screen. Right? It was just a, a blurry screen that you could barely make out what was going on. But you put the glasses on, and now all of a sudden everything leaps off from 2D, and it becomes 3D. You're immersed in it. Many times our perspective is so narrow because we are not focusing on who God is. We are focusing on our own resources and our own ingenuity and who we are. Right? We've lost sight of who God is and how great God is. And, you know, and we, we've lost sight of all the things that he's done for us and how good he's been to us and how gracious he's been to us and how merciful he's been to us. And so when you and I are looking at our circumstances and we're looking at what we're facing, it's a 2D image on the page. And it's hard to make out. And what God wants you and I to do is take out our spiritual glasses so that it stops being a 2D, non-impactful image to suddenly it comes alive and it's like you're in the midst of what God is doing. See, we want to stand on the outside and observe and not really be in the midst of what God is doing. We're complaining, we're frustrated, we're angry, right? We're satisfied. We've thrown away our 3D glasses, right? We've taken out our crayon and we're drawing all over the 3D picture, right? We've lost the intent of what it represents. But when you put the glasses back on, you are immersed in the picture, in the circumstance, in the story that's being told on the pages. God wants you and I to get immersed and his presence, get immersed in his word. Put on our spiritual glasses so that we can see where he is working and what he is doing. See, the servant here went in and he said to Elisha, Elisha, there's all of these horses and there's all of these chariots. What are we going to do? Elisha, not even worried, doesn't have a doubt. He said, uh, there are more with us than there are with them. That's the servant now is looking at a 2D page going, this man is crazy. <laughs> we are literally surrounded by horses and chariots, and you're going to tell me that there's more of us. Last time I checked, there's just two of us. There's just two colors on the page, red and blue. There's just two of us, you and me. Elisha says, God opened his eyes. And when God put on his spiritual glasses and opened his eyes, he saw that the sky was filled with chariots and horses, chariots of fire. God had showed up with a vast heavenly army to defend Elisha. What you see with your fleshly eyes does not necessarily what God sees from his perspective. Amen. May we all pray in the midst of our circumstances that God would help us to see his perspective. He may not show us the whole picture, but let him show us enough that we can see that he is working and not lose hope. Amen. But God will not force that on anyone. You and I must seek him, draw closer to him, call upon his name, and ask so that you and I can see where he is working and what he is doing.
let us see. And I have to imagine when a servant looks up and he sees all of these horses, his servant is imagining there's probably going to be a great slaughter. I mean, why else would God send an army? He sent a whole army of chariots and horses. But that's not what happens. Elisha prays that the army of the enemy, the Syrians, would be blinded. He takes them and he leads them right into the heart of Israel, into Samaria. And then he says, Lord, open their eyes. And when they opened their eyes, they were right there in the middle. The king of Israel is going, what do you want me to do with them? What in the world should, he says, should I kill them? I mean, should I kill them? Twice it says that in the Bible. Elisha says, no. Give them food, give them water, and let them go. Now, some people would be disappointed. When God moves, if he doesn't move the way that you want him to move, you can't be disappointed and pout, right? When God moves and he changes our perspective so that we can see him moving, when he's doing something we don't agree with and we don't like, we need to just trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him. He may only show you a page at a time. Right? He may only show you a step at a time. Keep stepping forward. Yeah. Even if you don't like where it's leading. Mm -hmm. Even if it's leading you from green pastures into the valley of the shadow of death, keep stepping forward. Mm -hmm. Keep moving forward. Keep following him. When God illuminates what he is doing and he begins to change your perspective, trust him fully that he knows what he is doing. Can't complain and whine and get frustrated. Some of us then like to take our spiritual glasses off and step on them. I don't think I want to see that much, God. That's true. I think you messed up on that one. Uh, right? It's like the nation of Israel, when they got set free from Egypt, and they got out in the desert, they're like, ah, uh, we should have stayed in Egypt. <laughs> They were prisoners to their perspective. They literally said, well, we had salt and pepper and garlic in Egypt. Out here we got nothing to flavor our food with. Let's go back to Egypt. Now, they were slaves making bricks and building buildings and being mistreated. They were prisoners to their perspective. Their perspective was focused on earthly and worldly things and not on spiritual things. And Lord, have mercy on us. If our perspective is based solely in the flesh and not what God is doing. Yes. Amen. What God wants is greater than what you and I want. Yes. What God wants is better for you than what you and I yes. want. Yes. Oh, but I'm going to be free if I go X, Y, and Z. Well, God knows better. Yeah. You may feel trapped now and you think that you're going to be free, Right? And God says, oh, you're not going to be free. It's just going to get worse on the other side, right? It's like that, the old story, uh, grass is green on the other side. You don't realize the other yard has a septic tank that's broken. <laughs> wow, their grass is pretty. Man, that is a gorgeous lawn. Yet their septic tank is leaking. And even though it looks better, 
doesn't mean it is better. Here's the thing. Some people who are tied into the source of the world, it looks like they're thriving on the outside, but they are corrupt on the inside. And then you have Christians who seem like they're struggling just to get the grass to grow, to just barely make it through, but they are rich where it counts, and joy, and hope, and peace. Right? So when God, we got to change our perspective to be able to see what God sees and then not be angry when God moves the way that God is going to move if we don't agree with it. So first is it's built on the truth of God's word, who God's, what God says and not what I say. Secondly, is recognizing that what I see with my eyes is not what God sees with his eyes. Thirdly, uh, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Let's go down to verse 19. When our owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. And receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. So, you all know this story. Paul and Silas, they basically, a lady is got an evil spirit and she's following Paul and Silas around and saying these men are from God, these men are from God, these men are from God and Paul just got annoyed because she wasn't, she was a distraction while he was trying to teach and so he just turned to her and said come out of her spirit and when the spirit came out of her she could no longer predict the future, she could no longer do some of the things that they, her masters got paid for her to do so they got irritated because their money source dried up so they took Paul and had him beaten and Silas beaten and put in prison. Now imagine, they weren't just put in prison. Prison is bad enough, but they were put in the middle of the prison. What that means is, is they had a good view of everybody around them and the rest of the prison. They were in stocks, uh, which is completely uncomfortable. Their hands through. I don't know if their heads were through or not. But whatever the case may be, they were, they were completely trapped in the middle of this prison. From their perspective, all they could see was their bondage. From a human perspective, they were bound at their hands and their feet. They were bound by the cell that was around them and the lock that was on the door. They were bound by the jailer who stood guard at the front of the jail. Do you see what I'm saying? From their human perspective, all they could see was bondage. Now, even when your circumstance seems like there is no hope at all, we are still to give God glory. Even when you've been beaten and you're wore out and you're tired, even when your soul hurts, you ever been so wore out and so hurt that it feels like your spirit man is actually aching, your soul hurts. 
You've been beaten down by the world and circumstances, and all you can see with your physical eyes is bondage and no way out. Every door, every window is closed, and you cannot see a way out. Even when you're in the middle of a prison with no way out, surrounded by other prisoners, God says, worship him anyway. Now, I don't know if Paul knew that he was going to be set free. I don't know. Only him and God know. But we do know that in the midst of being beaten and put in jail, him and Silas started worshiping God together. They started worshiping God together and they started glorifying God and talking about how God was so great and how awesome he was. And I'm sure that uh, Paul, he couldn't stop sharing the gospel because that's the kind of person he was. And they're singing and preaching and praying and doing all these things in the middle of the night while they're in bondage. Look, some of us, uh, we're just sitting on our couches and don't even have our hands and our feet in the stocks feeling sorry for ourselves, let alone being in prison. Right? I know I've had times where I didn't want to get up in the morning uh, and I was sleeping in my nice pillow top mattress. Right? Let alone in the middle of a jail cell and stocks bound and guarded. Not wanting to give God praise because I had a bad day at work. Uh-oh. It done got personal. Not wanting to give God praise because my wife and I got in a fight. Angry and mad. Not wanting to give God praise because my kids were being not good people. <laughs> they had a bad attitude that day. They're being mouthy, back talking, and you want to just smack them. So you don't, you know, all those things that life offers, all those things that you have to deal with, but in spite of all of those nuisances, and annoyances, and in spite of all of those things, we are commanded to worship and honor God. Amen. In spite of it all. Mm -hmm. What is it? Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Through it all, I've learned to trust in God. Mm -hmm. You do that by holding on to Him and honoring Him. When you honor God in crisis, you are acknowledging who God is. When I worship him and I declare how good he is and how worthy he is and how awesome he is, right? Even in the midst of my pain and my suffering, that is an act of faith of saying, I believe these things about you, God, and regardless of what my circumstances is or are right now, I'm still going to worship you. Whether it gets better or not, I'm going to worship you. Whether I get healed from my sickness or not, I'm going to worship you. Whether my job gets better or not, I'm still going to worship you. Whether my spouse gets better or not, I'm still going to worship you. Amen. Whether my kids come back home or not, I'm still going to worship you. Amen. Right? No matter what's happening in your life, whatever's going on, whatever the circumstance, you're still going to worship him. Amen. And here's the thing. You worship without expectation of return. Amen. We must worship with integrity. Amen. Wow. We must worship with integrity. When you 
Someone who lacks, so the basic definition of integrity is not to be complicated with ulterior motives. When you and I worship God, it is to be done without ulterior motives. Paul and Silas were worshiping God whether they got set free or not. They were worshiping God whether God shook the jail cell or not. They were going to worship God whether their shackles fell off or not. They were going to worship God whether the jailer got saved or not and all of his family baptized. They were going to worship God no matter what. There were no ulterior motives. When you and I worship God in the midst of pain and suffering, do so without ulterior motives. That's pure worship. Worship and integrity. Worship him because of who he is, not because of what he can do. Now, of course, what he can do is a part of who he is. He's good and he's awesome. Right? But our worship is tied not to what he can do for us, but to who he is. Right? And even, in, 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 and even though I don't deserve it, and I certainly don't have it deserved anything in my life, he has blessed me. He has had mercy on me. He has done these things. And if he never does another thing for me, he still deserves to be worshipped with integrity. Yes. Worshipped with integrity. I think that's what's wrong with a lot of our churches today. And the spirit not moving is we don't worship God with integrity. In the midst of our pain and our suffering, we're worshiping God, hoping to get his attention so that he'll do something. How many of you, when you had little children, now I have a little grandbaby that does it to me, when they want something, they'll give you hugs and kisses. Poppy, get a big old hug, then she takes over my hand and says, sit. Poppy, I get a great big old hug. She takes me by the hand, leads me over somewhere, and says, help me. Right? My kids. Dad, you're the awesomest dad in the world. That's great. What's for lunch today? Alex starts asking me what's for lunch before we leave the house at 1020 in the morning. I appreciate that. <laughs> right? I mean, how many of you have kids who, your, your kids or your grandbabies, basically... You tell somebody how much you love them and you appreciate them with your hand out. <laughs> what can you do for me? Listen, we extend our empty praise. Wow. Like we extend our empty hands. That's good. Wow. Waiting for God to fill them. When you're in the midst of your present perspective, worship God with integrity. I can't promise you that he will miraculously shake the foundations and set you free from your circumstance. But I can promise you that he will show you grace, mercy, and love because you will be in the arms of Christ. Amen. Draw close to him and he will draw close to you. Amen. This morning, Miss Kim just came up and gave me a hug. Right? She gives great hugs. 
And you know, it just, that's what I needed. Just to be loved on for a second. No expectation of return. Right? Just a hug. Right? Stop asking them for stuff and just grab onto them. Yeah. Stop complaining. Let me stop complaining and whining. Let me just tell him how much I love him. Worship him, honor him, and love him with integrity. It'll change everything. It will change your life. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.